Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Cool. Right. Yeah. So, this morning, I want you to have a think about uh, your best friend growing up. Okay, so I want you to have a think about you know, the, the, the friends that you had maybe at school or maybe as you were a teenager who you would share everything with. You know, the, the, the close friends who you would uh, share your deepest secrets. You know, you'd have sleepovers with. You would build dens. You would you know, you'd do everything for this, with this friend, right? And I wonder how you uh, feel that your relationship is with that person now. And often, actually, we, we come to realize that, well, we, for, for some of us, well, that relationship isn't the same anymore, is it? Maybe we've moved away, or uh, maybe we've got, you know, we've got jobs, or, or just whatever. But, but sometimes that relationship isn't the same anymore, is it? Um, and I'd like to show you a picture of... This is me and my best friend growing up. And when we weren't uh, in a field <laughs> uh, with lavender in our in our mouths, we were, um, <laughs> um, yeah, we'd be doing all of those things. We'd be um, cooking pancakes in the middle of the night or, or whatever. However, you know, I'd still say that my friend Johan is a really good friend, but it's not the same thing. And that's because, yeah, we live in a different town now, and we still spend time together when we do, it's great, but it's, you know, those friendships, those relationships, um, yeah, change over time, don't they? And I wonder what we think about with our relationship with God. Do we feel that there's a bit of the similarity there? That we were, maybe we look back and we think, you know, well, I used to be really close to God, but things have changed. You know, maybe we feel like we lack a bit of that spark that we had with God. And maybe you look back longingly, oh, when I became a Christian, you know, things were, things were better. Or maybe when you did something else, you know, you felt much closer to God at that time. And so the question is really, you know, how can we find that spark back? How can we get that closeness to God back? Or maybe this morning you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. I hadn't even really thought about closeness to God. You know, that seems quite a strange concept to me. Maybe you're wondering if you'd even want closeness to God. My life's actually okay. Things are fine as they are. Do I need this closeness to God that you're talking about, Sim? And so let's take a look at the Bible, shall we, to see what what the Bible's got to have to say about that. So if you've come at all in the last six weeks, you'll know that we're looking at the book of James. um, And... um, yeah, and it's been really challenging, hasn't it? But we know, but I know that not everyone here has been here the last six weeks. So I think it's really important that we recap just so everyone knows what's been happening. So yeah, so James, the author of the book, he uh, is a church leader in Jerusalem. In fact, he was Jesus' own brother. So the stuff that he's uh, got to say has been, yeah, really challenging, hasn't it? Because it's reminded us of some of Jesus' own words. So he was writing to Jewish believers, and they'd been scattered around. But as we've seen, James is one that is just blunt. You know, if he's got something to say, he just goes ahead and says it. And we've seen a few times that this has been really challenging. We've been challenged um, about keeping our tongue in check, caring for the poor, wisdom, all sorts of stuff, haven't we? In fact, the title of the series that we've been looking at is Now to Live the Life. And that's because James is adamant that what Jesus has done for us means that 
it's going to completely change the way that we live our lives. We cannot just continue the way things are. Now to live the life. And so if you, haven't, uh, been, if you haven't been here at all in the last six weeks, then I do encourage you, you, know, you can listen to the uh, previous ones, either on our website or on a podcast system on your phone if you have. But yeah, do have a listen um, to some of the other ones. But yeah, so today we are at James 4. It's on one, page 1215, if you have a blue Bible. And I'm going to read. I'm just going to read to verse 5 to start with. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world but becomes an enemy of God. Sorry. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So what does James say the root, uh, the root cause of these issues is then? You covet because you do not have. You do not have because you do not ask God. And you can almost hear them say, but we do ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Your motives are that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is saying that their motivations are wrong. Their own desires Their own pleasure are their motivations. Well, what exactly are those desires? Well, we don't know. James doesn't tell us exactly what they are, but we can see how they've become a distraction, getting in way of both their relationships with one another, because they're those fights and quarrels, and in the way of their relationship with God. So much so that James goes on to call them enemies of God, doesn't he? Enemies of God. And in verse 5, did you see, God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in them. God being jealous. That's a strange thought, isn't it? Do, do we want to be close to a God who is jealous? I guess it's a valid question. You know, I asked at the beginning, do we want to be close to God? Do we want to be close to that kind of God? And jealousy is usually a, a, a negative feeling, isn't it? It's quite a selfish emotion. It's wanting something that someone else has and we don't have, so we want that thing, isn't it? So how can God be jealous? I think this comes down to who we think God is and also, you know, therefore, who we are, how we were created. Um, And I think this is, yeah, really fundamental. We believe in a triune God, you may have heard of the Trinity before. We believe that God is not God, the same person in three different forms, but actually three distinct persons. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, but united as God. I think the, the theologian Mike Reeves illustrates this really helpfully, why this is so important. If God were a, a singular God... 
then before he would have created us, think about it, so if he's a singular God, before he would have created us, who would he have loved before he created anything? There's no one to love, is there? And so if that were the case, then he would have created us out of that need. He doesn't have anyone to love, he doesn't have anyone to love him. So there's a gap, there's a need, and so he would have created us out of necessity, almost, you could say, out of his emptiness. Instead, we believe in a triune God. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are there before creation, loving one another, okay, loving one another, in that deep, strong love that they have for one another. So strong, in fact, that it's overflowing, and so they want to share it, and so they create to bring others into that love. So can you see how it's different? Over here, if God was singular, got no one to love, no one to love him back until he creates. Over here, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, loving one another way before creation. So much so, they want to create in order to be able to bring others, welcome others into that community. So we were created to be brought into that Trinity relationship, welcomed in. That's what's best for us. So God jealously wanting our love isn't a selfish thing. It's a loving thing. It's, it's how things are best for us. So, so that's exciting. But So why is God jealous then? Well, God is jealous because that's how it's meant to be. But unfortunately, because of their desires, the people that James is writing to, they don't put God first and love God with all their hearts. You know, these distracting motives get in the way. James calls them adulterous people, doesn't he? And it's not the first time that the language of unfaithfulness is used in the Bible to describe how people's, uh, God's people turn away from him. You know, the book of Hosea, so that's in the first half of the Bible in the Old Testament, uses this illustration a lot. James, in his typical blunt style, he says um, you know, that people are enemies of God. People who are unfaithful are enemies of God. And so answering the question that I asked at the beginning, you know, if life is just fine, I'm fine as it is, Sim, why do I even need this closeness to God? Well, that's the answer, because James describes those that don't as being enemies of God. So we can't just carry on the way things are. We're in a mess. We become the enemies of the God who created us to be in that loving relationship. It's not the way things are meant to be. But, but, let's keep reading. But he gives us more grace. But he gives us more grace. It's been a really helpful reminder, hasn't it, as we've been going through James. Yes, we want to be more like Jesus as we are his children, but we continue to mess up. We continue to get things wrong time and time again. But he gives us more grace. Not just grace, more grace. God isn't going to run out of grace, okay? If you ever have that feeling that you've messed up too much, how could God possibly love you, right? If God knew everything that you'd ever done, 
Could he still possibly love me? But he gives us more grace. God isn't going to run out of grace, okay? You cannot exhaust the limits of God's grace. It's an all-you-can-eat grace buffet, all right? This is great news this morning, you know. If you'd never known that closeness to God, you can know that closeness to God because of God's grace. Okay, so faced with this incredible news, what should our response be? James, over to you. um, So let's look down at six. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So our response should be, turn away from these distractions. Submit ourselves back to God. See that? Come close to God, and he will come close to you. That's the answer to the question we asked at the start. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. So when God doesn't feel near, is it God or is it us who are far? Is it God who doesn't feel near, or is it us? Before we accuse God of being distant, I wonder if it's us. If we're honest with ourselves, do we actually want God to be near that's a challenging question for me. If I'm honest with myself, I, want, I say I want God to be near. Do I really? Sometimes we can, be quite un- we can be quite comfortable, can't we? The way things are, the way our lives are. Do we really want God to be near? We've already seen quite a lot in our series in James of how this changes our lives when God is near. These distractions, these motives that we have can come in the way of us being close to God. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've uh, ever been somewhere where maybe you've said something to, to, to a friend and it's a bit hurtful and you haven't yet had a chance to, to talk to them about it. You both know that you've said something that's unhelpful and maybe you're in a group of people and it's awkward, isn't it? You haven't yet had that time to discuss it and say, I'm really sorry for saying that. So you're, you're in that group with others, but there's that tension, that unease between the two of you. How can you expect to have a kind of, you know, you can pretend, but how can you expect to have a good friendship with that person while there's that thing between you, right? How can we expect our relationship with God to be any different? Oh, yeah, I love you, God. Uh, and then you have this distraction, this other thing in between you, yeah? There's no point saying one minute we want to be close to God and then living lives that prevent that. Okay, let's read the passage again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire what, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask. 
When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you could spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses... This is really annoying. (laughs) Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason... Okay, that would do, that would do. (laughs) Thanks. Can you see? It's it's really hard, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure you were struggling too. There's no point complaining that you can't hear me if your phone is really loud, right? (laughs) It's really hard to concentrate when there are distractions. It's not possible for us to devote ourselves to God, to put him first, when at the same time we have those distractions, those passions that are pulling us away. So what are those distractions? Well... As I said, James doesn't tell us what they are in this particular instance. And in a way, that's quite challenging, because if he did, if he said, oh, you know, your your challenges are this, this, and this, then it'd be quite easy for us to kind of go, oh, well, I don't struggle with those ones, so, um, you know, I can switch off right now. And that's what's challenging. He says, but he doesn't tell us what they are, because they're different for each one of us, aren't they? In fact, sometimes our distractions might be usually quite good things. Let me explain. You know, serving at church, looking after the poor, leading a house group. Those would be normally things that, you know, you'd expect me to send here and encourage. And I do. But sometimes even those things, with the wrong motives, they can distract us from loving God, can't they? So what are the distractions for you? What does your mind happily wander to? If we, you know, not going to do it, but if I asked you to close your eyes and said, right, spend a few minutes, you know, what would your mind race to? What would you, what would you, you know, what do your mind go to? You know, it could be a promotion opportunity, something at work, a girl that you fancy, sport, University coursework, you've got to do, it's for tomorrow, right? Money, or your level of debt. You know, what are the things that are getting in the way of your relationship with God? And these are going to change over time as well. Today it might be this, tomorrow it might be something else. I think we need those, those kind of regular checkups, don't we? You're thinking, okay, well, what's What's occupying my mind? What's, what's the distraction for me at the moment? We need a kind of self-diagnostic. You know. We need to be able to let go of those distractions if we really want that closeness and to be able to devote ourselves to God. So what should we do about it? Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. You need to be able to put... Some of those things, you know, we, we can't... Some of those things we, we, we can't just get rid of, if they're good things. 
but think about our motives. Think about where our priorities are. Lastly, what about our relationships with others? James points out that our motives, our, you know, our wrong motives and desires can cause tensions, tensions and quarrels with others. It can be really easy for us to, to lay blame at others who have done wrong. You know, we may not have done something wrong, but are our motives always pure? So we've been looking at today how distractions, how our wrong motives, how our passions can become a distraction. They can take us away. They can, like adulterous people from God, with all, from loving God with all our heart. And it's not easy to wash our hands of them. We need to do it again and again. As I said, the distractions can be different from day to day. We can put God first in our lives one day, but then gradually things will creep in again, don't they? So it's not easy, but it's hugely rewarding. Anyone who's experienced and known the delight of being in that closeness with God knows that it's worth it. It's costly, but it's worth it. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we thank you so much for creating us out of your overflowing love for us and your longing, your jealous longing for us to be in that closeness with you. And we want to say sorry for the times when we don't put you first, we don't recognize your kingship and we live with our selfish motives, we live with ourselves first. But thank you so much for that grace, that unending grace that you give us that brings us back into that closeness. Yeah, Father, help us to put to one side the things that are, aren't helpful, to have the right motives. Help us to come near to you and enjoy being near to you. Amen.